We will start the Dhamma talk with the Namatasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa <coughs> Tonight I'm going to talk about aditana which means determination or resolve. In the night before his enlightenment, the Bodhisattva sat down under the Bodhi tree, facing eastwards with his back against the trunk of the tree, and then he made this solemn resolution. Let my flesh and blood dry up. Let only my skin, sinews and bones remain. Never shall I unfold this cross-legged position until I attain Buddhahood. So even the Bodhisattva took refuge in making this determination in order to reach his goal. Due to this firm resolve, he could withstand all the attacks and seductions of Mara, which is the personification of evil, the tempter, because Mara tried to prevent him from becoming a Buddha. And so even the most severe attacks of Mara's army with showers of rocks and uh, raining hot ashes and even displaying Mara's attractive daughters could not deter the Bodhisattva from his strife for enlightenment. So today I'm going to mention a few aspects of this quality of determination. It's quite an important quality and it can support our practice a great deal. Often we uh, tend to underestimate this quality and do not give it enough consideration. In Pali it's called Aditana and usually in English it's translated as determination or resolve. This is a quality that gives strength to our purpose and prevents us from wavering or from shrinking back or from sidetracking. So with a determined mind we pursue our intended goal or direction and do not fall prey to the many seductions on the side of the way. Before making a determination or before we resolve something, 
we should have a clear uh, idea of what we are going to determine or to resolve. We should clearly know where we want to go and in which direction we want to incline our mind. From time to time it's good to ask ourselves, what do I want from this practice? Depending on the answer, this will give us a certain direction. So if the answer is along the lines to have pleasant, nice, pain-free experiences coupled with happiness, bliss and peace, then we might easily get stuck on the way. Rather than understanding how things really are, we just dwell and get hooked up in these nice, pleasant experiences. And then the practice revolves around the point where it becomes a struggle to make these pleasant and blissful experiences happen again. However, if the answer to these questions, what do we want from practice, is along the lines to lessen and finally overcome greed, hatred and delusion, then our practice will have a different quality, so it will take a different form. So to be clear about our aim or our goal is very important. In worldly matter, this is quite obvious. If we have a business, then we are quite determined to make good business. We want to be successful and we want to make enough money to live a decent life. And so, therefore, we set, we set up conducive conditions uh, for our business by employing competent and trained staff, by putting up ads or by offering friendly service and have good public relations. Or another worldly example is uh, preparing and going for a holiday trip. So in order to get to our chosen destination and spend a relaxing time there, we do all the necessary preparations. First of all, we bring our car to the workshop to get an overhaul and then we go and uh, book a nice cottage and make sure that it is equipped with TV and spa. <laughs> then we get maps to see uh, how to get there, which roads we have to take on the way there, and as it is very far, uh, we need to spend the night somewhere, so organizing uh, a place to stay overnight. And finally, we pack our suitcase, hop into the car and start driving. On the second day, as we are almost there, we might come to a place where the road is blocked by a landslide. And so we make the 
sophisticated detour, quite determined to get uh, to our place uh, of destination. And so then finally, just before dark, we reach our cottage. Of course, to get to our uh, cottage, even if it's two days drive away from here, this is not so difficult here in Western countries. Not many, not too many obstacles or difficulties could arise on the way. In Burma, such a thing could be already much, much more difficult and challenging. Or if one goes into a, onto an expedition into the wilderness of the Amazonas or an expedition into a faraway place in the Himalayas, then one would need to be uh, more prepared, more careful preparations for the journey to get there and one would also probably uh, be faced with some difficulties or obstacles on the way there. And so then the members of the team have to be quite determined uh, to go ahead and uh, make the effort to get all the way to the destination. In spiritual matters it's actually not very different and actually also the spiritual practice is often compared to a long journey. So therefore, when we set out on this journey, we should be clear about where we want to go. The goal or destination should not only be well defined, but it should also be something well worth to be reached. So we should be clear about our sincere wish to actually get there. Only when we have a clear vision will we be determined to make all the effort to get there. And on the basis of this clear vision, then we bring our day-to-day -day actions in alignment with this deeper vision. The Buddha's teaching actually basically aims at purifying the heart and mind. Purifying heart and mind in order to understand things as they really are. And purifying our heart and mind means to purify them from the defilements. The three basic defilements being greed, hatred and delusion. They are like stains in the mind and when the mind is stained one cannot see things clearly as they are. And when these stains are removed with that we can see phenomena in the true nature, we can understand how these processes um, come about or how they disappear and so understanding the causes of our suffering, we can abandon the causes of suffering. And when the causes of suffering are abandoned, 
suffering no longer will arise and when there is no longer suffering there is happiness and peace so for example if we recognize our greedy nature recognize that our craving and wanting is quite strong and wishing to reduce this greed then we can make a determination to curb back on our greed in a small but significant way I will demonstra uh, illustrate this with an example or a determination that I made many 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 years ago I was, e I was very fond of eating sweets and especially the homemade cakes of my mother but I also would go for anything sweet such as cookies or ice cream or sweetened beverages so one stage I came to recognize this almost insatiable desire for sweets and so therefore I made a determination not to eat or drink anything sweet for a couple of weeks I made this determination because I knew myself well enough that by only uh, cur by only reducing the sugar intake um, I wouldn't be firm enough to really stick to it so I had to resort to make this determination and so I made this determination and at times it was not easy because this strong desire for something sweet arose and I really had to be firm with my results not to give in because sometimes Mara was whispering no no go for it you know just a little bit never mind that's enough that is fine Mara I know you <laughs> and so sticking to my resolve I actually managed it for these two weeks and so after these two weeks I was very happy and satisfied with myself that I could do it but more importantly I came to understand that this desire to eat sweets did not need to be acted out in order to make this desire disappear although the, the desire was there during these two weeks I was just aware of it and simply did not act it out I did not give in and so by simply being aware of it then after some time this desire simply disappeared and that was quite a revelation to me that a desire could by itself disappear again and so I was happy that I learned and understood something and so then after that I allowed myself to eat sweets again but having gone through this experience I learned that it was possible to keep my craving for sweets under control 
and I did not need to gratify this desire at all, uh, all the time to make it go away. So, in the same way, if we become aware of some unwholesome tendencies or unskillful habits that we would like to change, we could curb back on them by making a determination. For example, if we cannot stop, stop looking at the beautiful surroundings, at the trees, the birds, at the flowers, so then we can make a determination that for a day, for a week, or for a month, we will not give in to our desire to look at the birds, at the tree, at the sky, and so on. Make this determination that we keep our eyes downcast. Not to look at beautiful things like birds or flowers is quite difficult for many people and in almost every retreat uh, people ask me or tell me, but you know, to look at the bird or at the flower is nothing bad <laughs> and it doesn't create suffering to other people, to other beings. There is no obvious suffering for myself, so why shouldn't we look at the birds or at the flowers? It's true, it's nothing obviously bad. And nobody will um, obviously suffer from that. There's no hurt done uh, to others. But the fact is that there's a desire to look. There is this desire to gratify this sense desire. And so if we look once more at the beautiful flower or the lovely bird, then we act out again on this desire. So again we fall prey to this habitual reaction. And as we know, if an action is accompanied by an unwholesome root, we desire one of them, then it's, it becomes an unwholesome action, creating unwholesome karma. And so by repeatedly doing it, even if it's such a trivial thing as looking at the beautiful bird, we are actually solidifying and strengthening this habit of acting out our desires. And if we just keep doing it, so then we strengthen this habit and then it becomes all the more difficult to overcome it or to at least weaken it, to reduce it. And as I said, like looking at the bird or the flower, it's nothing great or quite a trivial thing. But if we cannot curve back on our desire on such a trivial thing, how will we be able to curve back on more strongly ingrained desires and craving? So we have to start by lessening our desire uh, with easier things. Easier, easier actions and if you are able 
uh, to curl back on desire or greed there, then you will be able to tackle the stronger uh, forms of desire and craving. Or another example where we can make a determination to weaken uh, unwholesome habits. Again, many people are so attached to have their cup of tea or cup of coffee. And so we could curve back on that. Maybe to have only one cup of tea or coffee a day instead of two or three or four. Or if one uh, goes a bit further, one could uh, determine not to have any coffee or tea for a week or two weeks or whatever. Or sometimes people have difficulties getting up in the morning and so when they hear the gong or the alarm goes off then they just lie there in the bed and uh, wait maybe another 10 minutes or 15 minutes until they get up. And so the determination could be as soon as they hear the bell or the alarm clock to simply get up, not make a fuss about it, just simply stand up and go about uh, their business. We also could use these determinations in our day-to-day -day lives at home. So for example, if we are of a stingy nature, we could make the resolve that every time we think of giving something, uh, to actually uh, give something to another person before we succumb to the afterthought that this was not appropriate or it was not the right time. Again, here Mara comes in and brings all these different arguments why one shouldn't give. Or if we are short-tempered, we can make a determination that in the following week or so, we will not take immediate action and try to uh, amend the situation out of uh, anger, like retaliating with angry words or trying to immediately remove an object that triggered our ill will. Or in the case we are very proud and conceited, we can resolve that for a week or so that we will give our seat in the bus or the train to any other person or persons who are standing. Or if we drive a car and uh, if we look for a parking space, then if another car is coming from the different from the opposite direction and also is heading for the same parking space, then we could give the parking space to that other uh, person. So to make a determination can be a helpful tool 
in order to reach our objective. And already the fact that we deliberately formulate our objective uh, makes it stronger. So putting it into words uh, gives strength to it. And if we do this determination in front of another person or in front of a Buddha statue, again it gains in strength and power and we are less likely to cheat ourselves. In the Buddha's teaching, Aditana, determination, resolve, is one of the paramis, the perfections. These perfections are forces of purity that help in our endeavor to purify our heart and mind. The Bodhisattva had to perfect these qualities to the highest degree during many of his lives. In the Jataka story of Temiya, the Jataka stories are the stories of the Buddha's former existences. So in that story of Temiya, we are told how the Bodhisattva perfected this parami of Aditana, determination. In that life he was born as a prince in the kingdom of Benares. When he was one month old he was brought before the king and seeing his son he was delighted to see such a beautiful baby boy. But at the same time four robbers were brought before the king and they were all convicted and sentenced. So the first was whipped a, a thousand strokes, the second was imprisoned in chains, then the third one uh, was to be speared and the fourth one to be impaled. The Bodhisattva, the little prince, although he was only one month old, he understood what was going on and he understood the cruelty of the king and it made him terrified. So then the next day when he was lying in his cot having a white royal umbrella over him, he began to ponder about the misdeeds of the king. and. At that time he recalled that in one of his previous lives he also was a cruel king and that subsequently he suffered greatly in hell. And so the prospect of becoming a king in that life again greatly worried him. And as he was pondering, in that moment a deva who dwelled in that white royal umbrella said to the baby, don't worry my child, if you wish to escape from being a, a king, simply pretend to be a cripple, pretend to be deaf and dumb. So behave like a fool and you will be scorned. And 
the little prince, the bodhisattva, decided to follow the deva's advice and so he determined to behave like a cripple. And so then it happened that the little baby never cried for milk, he never laughed and he never played as other babies or little children did. They tested him in many ways but the Bodhisattva, the prince, was very firm in his resolve. He did not go for the sweet cakes or the nice food as all the other uh, kids did. Seeing the cakes, he would tell himself, eat the cakes and nice food if you wish to go to hell. One time they set a bunch of leaves on fire. All the other kids ran away, but the Bodhisattva, the prince, simply stood there. And so an attendant had to grab him and rescue him. Or to test his ear, his um, hearing, very loud horns were blown right next to his ear. But the Bodhisattva remained unmoved. So when the Bodhisattva had grown up and had reached the age of 16, the astrologer said that this prince would bring great misfortune uh, to the royal family and the kingdom and they suggested that he be brought to a faraway place and be buried alive. So then the next morning Sunanda who was the king's charioteer, had to take the prince to a faraway place. When they had reached the place far away from the palace, Sunanda stopped the chariot and started to dig a hole. In the meantime, unnoticed by Sunanda, the Bodhisattva went down from the chariot and quickly regained his strength so that he could walk back and forth. We must remember he pretended to be a cripple and so he had never walked. And when Sunanda had finished digging the hole, he came out of the hole, went to the chariot to get the Bodhisattva. But um, Beside the chariot there was this good-looking, healthy young man and in the meantime King Saka, the Deva King, had come and had given very nice clothes to the Bodhisattva, the prince. And so this young man addressed Sunanda asking him, what are you doing here? Why do you, why do you dig this hole? And Sunanda being uh, perplexed, he simply said that he had the order to dig this hole to bury the prince alive. And this young man then said that the prince was actually he himself. And um, Sunanda first could not believe it. But then having a closer look at this young man, he realized that indeed it was 
the young prince. And so seeing that the prince was actually healthy and strong, Sunanda entreated him to come back to the palace and to make his parents, the king and the queen, happy. But the uh, Bodhisattva, the prince, answered that he had no desire for the throne and all the luxury of the palace and that he would stay there in that forest living as a hermit. So then Sunanda went back to the palace alone and the news about the young healthy prince spread in the palace like a bushfire. And the king immediately ordered his attendants to prepare for the journey to that forest. And as he wanted to go with all the royal pomp, it took them three days to prepare for this journey. And then a long procession with horses and elephants and chariots made its way to that forest. When they arrived there, the prince, the bodhisattva, came and friendly greeted the king and the queen, his mother and father. And the king told him, you know, I give you all my palaces, my horses, the elephants, the infantry. Fair and young women will entertain you during all the waking hours. Enjoy the throne and all the pleasures. I can assure you a happy life. But the prince, the bodhisattva said, why should I seek, um, why should I seek wealth that does not last? I have no guarantee that it will be mine by tomorrow because death has the final say. Death says who and when one has to go. So I'm not enticed by your wealth, by the pleasures and all the luxuries. You go back to the palace and enjoy the power. Because the king and the queen and all the attendants and people who came along on this trip were endowed with paramis, with perfections, they realized the deeper meaning of what the prince, the bodhisattva had said. And so they decided to give up their worldly lives and also to become hermits and live simple lives. So the king then distributed all his wealth and gave up the kingdom. This is not the only story, not the only Chataka story that tells us about the Bodhisattva's drive to perfect determination or Aditana. In another story we are told he was a merchant traveling on a ship. It came into a big storm and the ship sank. All the other passengers on the ship were greatly uh, afraid, cried and shouted, but they drowned in the water. But the merchant, the bodhisattva, 
decided, determined to swim to the shore. And so he started to swim. He made a big effort to swim. And it is said that after seven days of swimming, a deva took pity on him and rescued him, bringing him to the safe shore. So wasn't it for the courageous resolve to swim to the shore, then the merchant Bodhisattva would have drowned like everybody else on the ship. So when we become clear about what we value in our life and how, how we want to spend our life, then we have to find means and methods to implement these values and aims. The Buddha's teachings are rich in skillful means and methods to become a better, kinder, more compassionate person and to, ava uh, to also become fully uh, liberated from all uh, the defilements. So the Buddha's teachings, his advice, his method cannot only be applied in intensive meditation practice, but many of his advice can also be applied in our day-to-day -day lives. So then we should choose those teachings, those methods among the many teachings or methods which are most suited to our temperament or our living style. And once we have chosen uh, a certain thing and once we know how it needs to be applied, then we have to make an effort to actually put it into practice. So we should resolve to make the best use of these methods and this is by wholeheartedly practicing them. So after the resolve or after the determination, the practice uh, must be actually done, must be put into practice. So Aditana is the quality's heart to stick with the chosen path and not to waver in times of difficulty or challenge. When I spent my second vasa, the period of the rains, uh, in the meditation center in Burma, I resolved to restrain my eyes to that point that I would always keep them gazing on the ground in front of me. So I determined not to look around, not to look up or to the side. I think I already mentioned this example in my talk on seclusion. Those who are here might remember, or maybe you hear it the first time because uh, you were asleep at that time. <laughs> So I did this result because for me it was extremely difficult to restrain my eyes 
and not to know what was going on in my vicinity or it was so difficult not to know who was next to me. And so I did this termination and after that I simply stuck to it. Especially in the dining hall where one sits on the floor and one bows uh, three times to the front of the dining hall where there is a picture of the Buddha. At that time I usually I had to shortly look up and see whether or not Jamia Sayadaw was already there or not. I just needed to know if he already in the dining hall or not. And if I knew then I could lower my eyes and then, then it was fine. And so after having done my resolve, as I did my bows, I just noticed this strong urge to look up, is he there or not. But having done this firm resolve, I simply stuck to it. I did not give in and I was vigilant enough not uh, to fall prey to this strong intention to have a short look. Or sometimes on the way back from the dining hall, going back to my room, I had to cross uh, a little bridge which was quite narrow and so even though I kept my eyes gazing down, I could see legs in the field of my vision. And sometimes I would see legs covered in jeans and white sneakers. And Burmese people don't wear jeans and white sneakers. And usually foreigners who come to practice the meditation, they too, after a day or two, they change to the Burmese uh, style of clothing, white slippers and a longi. And so seeing these legs uh, in jeans and white uh, sneakers, I knew that a new foreigner had arrived. And again, I had to know who this was. Was it a man? Was it a woman? Was it a Westerner from a European or American country or Australia? Or was it from a neighboring Asian country? I simply needed to know and having uh, catching a short glimpse of that person would have satisfied uh, my desire. But again, after having made this determination not to look, I simply noted the strong urge to look. And so I did not uh, fall prey to this desire. So in that way, having made this uh, strong determination really helped in my practice and having greater restraint of the eyes led to a deeper concentration. My mind was settling down more easily, became much more focused and clear and this in turn uh, led to deeper or clearer insights and understanding. A strong resolve also helps to put energy into what, into what we value. 
So even if we lose the primary object many times during a sitting meditation, we observe and note the wandering thoughts until they disappear and only then go back to the primary object. So we just do that however many times it happens, 10 times, 100 times, 1000 times during a sitting. Wandering thoughts are just another object which need to be observed and noted. Little children who learn to walk are a good example. First, when they try to make a few steps, they are maybe able to make one step or two steps before they fall down. But very quickly they try to get up and uh, make another step or two and again they fall down. So no matter how many times they fall down, they um, try to get up, stand up and walk again. And this goes on for quite a period of time. So falling down doesn't matter so much. What is important is to get up again. In the meditation practice we have to do the same thing. All we have to do is to get up time and again. This is also true for the ups and downs in our practice. So can we keep going despite the loneliness, despite the frustration? Can we keep going despite the worries or the doubts or our anxiety? So with our determination we commit ourselves to continuous practice even if it seems helpless at times. But anyway, very often the notion of progress or enlightenment very seldom matches our experiences that we have to go through. What seems hopeless to us may prove to be may, uh, may prove to give results in very unexpected ways. Therefore, it's not up to us to judge our practice, but simply to do the practice diligently. What we should do is to simply uh, stay with the actual experience and try to observe it to the best of our ability. By doing the practice in this way, beneficial results and an inner transformation will take place for sure. So with the practice of Vipassana meditation, we do not try to make things different or we do not try to change anything out there. But what we should do is try to be with the experience 100% and understand what this experience is all about. And so 
on the basis of this understanding and uh, then our growing understanding we are able to accept the object or the situation as it is and so then our view and our and as a result of that our attitude change so that we can be in harmony with the present moment when mindfulness is strong and concentration deep enough when we are able to be with the experience just as it is without adding anything without uh, removing anything then the sense of I or me or self dissolves and so then there is just this experience and the awareness of it and in that space there is no need to fight this experience there is no need to change anything in this experience another aspect of determination is that a strong determination can set free forces or energies that we are not aware of in our uh, limited view we often think of ourselves in very limited terms thinking that we are such and such so we can have thoughts like I know I'm able to do this but I'm definitely not able to do that or I know for myself I'm such an impatient person so to be patient patience is really impossible for me or I'm a very sensitive person and so therefore for me it's absolutely impossible to observe pain or my mind has been restless ever since I remember and so I know this will be for the rest of my life or thinking I have been born with an angry temperament and so what hope is there for me to change So, does any of these uh, statements sound familiar? Or on which point do you get hooked up? What self-image do you have of yourself? And so, being limited to a very narrow or confined self-image, then with that what dormant qualities are you preventing from developing or arising so once we start to have a look at this issue be it during our intensive meditation practice or be it uh, at home in our day to day life then it can be quite revealing and it can also be quite amazing when we discover qualities or energies 
that we thought we would not have. To give you another example, I was a rather stingy person and so when I went to Burma to practice meditation I became even more painfully aware of my stinginess because generally speaking Burmese people are very generous and even if they have very little themselves they share and give whatever little they have and so through my meditation practice and also through living in a country where generosity is widely practiced I started to become less stingy and started to become a bit more generous but still it seemed I was lagging way behind my Burmese friend Mimi who seemed to have an inborn tendency for generosity so having her and having the fine and inspiring example of many Burmese people that was very inspiring uh, for me and so then at one point I made a determination to actually give whenever I had a thought of giving and so I did that for a certain period of time and with that I noticed that my giving would become more and more spontaneous it started to come directly from my heart rather than from the intellect or this determination but having made this determination uh, definitely helped me to become more generous Of course, um, with our resolve or determination, we cannot immediately accomplish everything that we wish. It would be rather unwise and foolish to determine uh, to swim across a lake if we had never learned how to swim. Or if we jump from a very high tower and resolve that we will be able uh, to fly before reaching the ground this would also be rather foolish so by making a determination or resolve we must apply our common sense and some understanding or wisdom In the Buddha's teaching, we have a set of practices that practice practitioners can choose to follow. And these practices can be used as a helpful tool to purify the heart and the mind. They can be used uh, to strengthen certain wholesome qualities such as contentment newness of wishes, renunciation, seclusion or determination and these practices are called Dutanga in Pali there are altogether 13 
uh, practices. In English, they are usually rendered as ascetic practices. But this kind of ascetic practices are not like the meaningless and useless ascetic practices that the Buddha practiced before his enlightenment. So these Dutangas or ascetic practices are undertaken as a helpful support for the purification of the heart and mind and they are undertaken with the intention to strengthen and develop certain qualities like those I just mentioned. So these practices they include for example only to have one meal a day. Another practice uh, includes to eat everything out of the armstone. Some other of these tutangas are to live at the root of a tree or to live uh, in open space. One of these tutangas is called the sitters practice and this involves that the person never lies down for sleeping or resting. So resting or sleeping is done in the sitting posture. So still nowadays some people practitioners choose to practice one, several or even all of these dutangas. And by choosing to do so, they show a very dedicated effort to purify the heart and the mind. For example, the English nun Venerable Tenzin Palmo, I've mentioned her in a previous talk, she determined to practice the sitters practice. So during the 12 years that she lived and meditated in her cave up in the Indian Himalayas, she never lied down to sleep or to rest. So it is said to do this sitters practice is a great help and support in one's commitment to wakefulness and alertness. It counters laziness and uh, sluggishness. So the determination to eat everything out of one's arms bowl helps to um, strengthen, develop one's contentment and not being fussy about food. Regarding food, we often have very strong opinions of how it should be, like what goes together with what, or in which order certain foods should be eaten. And I was no different. For some years after teaching here in the Blue Mountains, I went to Wat Buddha Dhamma near Weisman's Ferry to do a self-retreat. And I had a little kuti up in the back of the uh, place up on the hill and so for lunch 
I would take my arms full and go down to the kitchen area. And there the helpers would put food into my arms bowl. Greens, salads, salad dressing, potatoes, or pasta, veggies, dessert, fruit, whatever. So everything came into my arms bowl. And then I walked away from the kitchen area to a little shed where I sat down to have my meal. And by the time I uh, got to that shed and started eating, so then, for example, the sweetened whipped cream, which was meant to go with the fruit salad, had already melted and was uh, soaking the salad leaves. Or the chocolate icing, the icing of the chocolate cake then would be mixed with the potatoes. And so, in the beginning, I noticed reactions <laughs> in my mind, thinking that sweet whipped cream is not a good goal with salad, or potatoes mixed with icing was not a good match. But with the days, I got used to it, and I simply realized that it was my strong notions about how food should be eaten or what goes with what. And simply being mindful of eating and noticing taste in my mouth, uh, it didn't matter anymore which taste uh, was noticed in which order. There were simply tastes. And so then after a while, um, the mind just said, quiet and equanimous about whatever came into the mouth. Sometimes our the chains of habit are so strong that a mere good intention uh, is not enough to cut these chains. And so in this instance to make a strong determination can be a helpful tool in dealing with our uh, deeply rooted habits and conditions, conditioning. Once we have made a determination, we simply stick to it and do not let doubts overwhelm us. Even if Mara appears and tries to seduce us, we do not waver and keep to our determination, realizing it's simply Mara. Okay. So then we can see, Mara, I see you. So a wholehearted determination uh, has a great power and adds additional strength to our endeavors. When we are determined to do something we are much less likely distracted by uh, seductions lingering on the side of the way. And we do not get up or we do not get caught up so easily in temptations to gratify our desires. It is said that before the Buddha passed away, 
his last words were Vaya Dhamma Sankara Apamadena Sampadeta and this means impermanent uh, are all conditioned things strive on with diligence strive on with diligence or not to shrink back not to give up is a crucial factor the Pali word Pamada means laxity laziness and Apamada means not being lax not being lazy the Buddha knew all too well that human beings are very often under the influence of laziness and laxity and that human beings are often contented with just a little bit of happiness or joy although at the time of the Buddha there was only a fraction of the means and objects to derive joy and happiness that we have nowadays nevertheless the nature of the mind of human beings is still the same the mind is easily diverted from one's path by the sight or sound of nice and enticing objects Aditana or determination works on two levels on the first level Aditana determination is to overcome unwholesome habits that we have become aware of and that we wish to abandon or to weaken when we make a determination to restrain ourselves <coughs> so that we do not fall back into our habits we can experience the results within a short time then on the second level determination works to achieve our long-term aspirations and goals so whatever they are for us so the result may still be a far way off but when we are determined to work towards the goal then one day we will definitely get, get there the self-centered I or ego is normally very quick in saying hey wait a minute you know that's not possible well not for you anyway others might get there but you definitely will never make it and so if we believe this whisper of Mara then we simply give up what we were doing or do not start uh, uh, at all but if we have a larger and wider vision and goal then we are much more determined and we will persevere to actually get there the Bodhisattva was determined to become a Buddha after he got the prophecy of the Pankara Buddha and so he strived for four incalculables and a hundred thousand worlds so during this incredibly long time the Bodhisattva strived 
to fulfill and perfect all the qualities necessary for uh, Buddhahood. Although he lived under many different circumstances and although he had to struggle for many different reasons, he always stuck to his resolve to become a Buddha. He always stuck to his resolve to fulfill whatever uh, was needed. So even in the most demanding situation, he did not waver and his resolve was never shaken. Out of his great compassion for the manifold sufferings that living beings are subject to, he persevered uh, patiently. He bore all the hardships and however long it might take him, he simply stuck to his determination. So a wholehearted determination is like taking the reins into our hands and guide the horses along the path. Otherwise, if we don't hold the reins firmly, the horses would most likely go off the path and run around freely. Likewise, the untrained mind is often quite uh, wild and prefers to do what it wants. And so, taming the mind needs determination. And this determination should be embedded in other wholesome qualities such as compassion, wisdom, kindness or patience. So may all of you be endowed with a strong determination and be able to walk the path to its very end. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.